Well, on the way to uh, church this morning, I picked up my kiddos, two of them. The other two are sick at home. And had a very meaningful, very meaningful conversation that only happens in a pastor's truck. Uh, my kiddo was saying, hey, hey, mom's saying, dad, that if uh, next time, if I give my uh, gift away, because I, I got a pretty cool gift last night, and my friend, you know, if he was really looking at it, mom said that if I, I give my gift to someone else, she'll make sure to get me another gift. So it was kind of neat. And then that's eight-year-old, and then a six-year-old going, yeah, dad, like I have, because I said maybe you can use some of the money that you've made from all your chores. Well, yeah, dad, uh, Jada goes, um, I was thinking that I'd like to buy myself a gift this year. <laughs> Good. It's working. It's working. And I said, really? Yeah, I want, I want a pet. Okay. You've all had these conversations, I'm sure. So she goes on. So you want to get a pet, but Jada, like, that's a lot of work. It's not just getting the, the bunny. She wants a bunny. But, I mean, what do we do when we got to feed that thing all the time? That costs money to feed it all the time, you know? Yeah, Dad, well, oh, how about when we go away on vacation? Who's going to take care of the bunny? Well, Dad, we're going to get a cage, and she's got it all figured out, right? And then I'm trying to get her to think big. I said, well, why a bunny? Like, why not um, a buffalo or a giraffe? <laughs> and she looks at me, and she says, excuse me, Dad. I don't want to be a zookeeper. I just want my own pet. <laughs> that was awesome. That's six years old. I'm scared. I'm totally scared. Oh, man. I hate it when my kids are getting smarter than me. Sheesh. Well, you ever feel like you're not firing on all cylinders? If that makes, doesn't make any sense, you know, cylinders in a car. You ever feel like you're not firing on all cylinders? Like, you're, oh, I think I can, I think I can, I think I can. You ever feel like that? I sure do. Sometimes it feels like I got four cylinders or eight cylinders, but I'm only firing on half of them, and I'm just like, ugh. And I think sometimes Christmas gets us firing on all, and sometimes, like I prayed before, sometimes it accentuates or it magnifies that my life has not been good this year, and I am not firing all these cylinders. I don't think I ever will. So it is a, a season full of hope, joy, love, peace, and it's also a season filled with anguish, anxiety, despair, and depression. I own a boat with a buddy. Don't get too excited. It's a beater. It's got an f- inboard four-cylinder Volvo engine with a Volvo leg. Try and get parts for that thing. And uh, we took it out, and, oh, yeah, it's going pretty good. All of a sudden, we weren't even near back to the dock, and it died on us. And uh, getting an 18-foot boat with one paddle because we forgot two, that's going to take a while, right? It was tough watching him paddle. <laughs> and we're making our way and trying to start that puppy. And, once a, and then finally it fired up and we made it home. And we were trying to check everything from the distributor to the coil to finally we go, you know what? We haven't changed the plugs on this puppy ever, I don't think. Okay, so we took them out. And they were nasty, like they were gross. So we, we changed three of them, came to the fourth one. We couldn't get that puppy to grab. So now I just, well, I, don't they sometimes bore these things out or whatever? So I go to my mechanic and he gives me the right thingy-mabob. And I go to the cylinder there and uh, now I'm just working it. And you're kind of cutting yourself a new um, area where the plug goes in. 
right? So I cut it, I cut my own thing, and I'm feeling like, yeah, looking at my bud, going, mm-hmm, right? So then I grab the plug, and I try and screw it in. It doesn't grab whatsoever. So now my, I seriously have a physical reaction in my gut. I'm going, wow, like summer's coming, and I've just screwed up my whole boat. And then I'm just like, I, I, just, and I, I just look over at Rich. I'm like, I, 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 no, there's got to be a... So he goes over and he finds out that my mechanic uh, gave me the thing to borrow it out, but he didn't give me the adapter because after that you screw in an adapter and then you put in the spark plug. That's a small, small detail that I did not know about. Anyway, we fire that puppy up and it, has, it ran like it's never run before in the whole time that we've ever owned this thing. I mean, it is running top-notch, so we're just, yes, this is awesome. We make our way out to Penticton, and we fire that puppy up. I mean, there's, there's $180,000 boats in the lake over there. Yeah, you heard me right, $180,000 boats. Ours, all right? But I'll tell you, ours is putting on hours. Like, we are ripping up and down that lake. We're taking families galore, and then these little kids at the dock, they're dripping at the mouth, mom, mom, mom. And finally, after they hang out with my kid and stuff, they kind of swimming over to us and say, is there a chance that you can take us behind the tube? And sometimes these are kids from single-parent homes that are just dripping at the mouth, never had this opportunity. Some of them immigrants. They just landed in Canada. They don't even know English very well, and they're in their broken English asking for a ride on this thing. So I'll tell you, when we got this boat to actually fire on all four cylinders, it brought us joy, but then also we it brought our whole family joy, but then it brought a whole community joy as we went to this Banbury Green campsite and a whack load of people were overjoyed because our little engine that could finally was firing on all the potential it was made to fire on. Well, folks, you were made for more. You were made for more. This is kind of Advent under a magnifying glass. We have this expectation of hope. We have this expectation of joy. We have this expectation of love and peace. All these four cylinders, and even this morning as I'm sitting here, I'm thinking, whoa, guess what? I often think of one of those cylinders. I think of peace. I need peace. Things aren't, I need peace. But sometimes I just, I silo them. I'm just after joy. I'm just after peace. And all the time in staff meeting, I'm making sure that our whole staff is going, guys, I don't want us to be silos. When, I think of, when, I want, when people think of White Rock Community Church, I want them to think of the body of Christ. I don't want them to think about Steve. I don't want them to think about Oren. I don't want them to think about Tenny. I want us to think about us and the glory of Jesus Christ. Amen. Woo! We're on fire. Yeah. That's what I want him to think about. And also, when it comes to our Advent series, you guys, we, yeah, we need love. Yeah, we need peace. Yeah, we need joy, dot, dot, dot. But we need the full meal deal. Not just part of it. We need the full meal deal. So when we enter into the Christmas season, I'm hoping that we get it more fully this season that we get to live our God-given potential in Jesus Christ, which is what our banner says that's usually behind me, that we get it, we live our God-given potential because just like my boat made me and my uh, boat partner happy, not only that, but it also flowed over onto our families and then flowed over into the whole campground, the same thing is with the gospel. If you start living your life 
not only does it bring absolute joy to God the Father because you're finally living in your potential, but it brings you joy, it brings your family joy, and it also spills out onto your whole community around you, firing on all four cylinders. So with that in mind, please grab your Bibles and turn with me to Matthew chapter 2. Matthew chapter 2. Matthew chapter 2, starting at verse 1. Now, after Jesus was born, now, after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea in the days of Herod the king, Magi from the east arrived in Jerusalem, saying, So where is he? who was born king of the Jews. For we saw his star in the east and have come to worship him. When Herod the king heard this, man, he was troubled. And all Jerusalem with him, gathering together all the chief priests and scribes of the people, he inquired of them where the Messiah was to be born. And they said to him, in Bethlehem of Judea, for this is what has been written by the prophet. And you, Bethlehem, land of Judah, are by no means least among the leaders of Judah, for out of you shall come forth a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. Then Herod secretly called the Magi and determined from them the exact time the star appeared. And he sent them to Bethlehem and said, Go and search carefully for this child. And when you have found him, report it to me, so that I too may come and worship him. After hearing the king, they went their way, and the star which had they had seen in the east went on before them until it came and stood over the place where the child was when they saw the star they rejoiced exceedingly with great joy after coming into the house they saw the child with mary's mother and they fell to the ground and they worshiped they worshiped him then opening their treasures they presented to him gifts of gold frankincense and myrrh and having been warned by god in a, in a dream not to return to herod the magi left for their own country by another way. I want to tie this all together once again. Hopefully it ties together for you too by showing you a couple slides that I started the Advent series with. And these are slides by Sky Jathani. Remember the book With. He says that so often we live uh, under God, over God, or we get a needle from somebody. Oh, there we go. All right. Here we go. So he says that the whole thing here is a cycle of fear that we often even approach our faith in this cycle, that there's a danger, we have a fear, and we want to control it. There's a danger, there's a fear, I want to control it. Think about that. Think about what you're reading these days in, in the newspapers and just follow the article and then look at the stuff underneath it when it comes to even our whole reaction to all these immigrants coming in, even some, uh, some of the... the the comments that have come in from the states and what they're encouraging people to do. Like there's a whole lot of danger, fear going on and people want to control what's going to happen, right? There's a lot. And he's saying that so often what we do is because of this danger and fear that we want to control it, that he gives four different postures, which I'll just touch on really quickly. The first one here is life for God. There's a a missionism. God as a commander, we're driven to activism, not through compassion, but in search of significance. So we look at this side of God, which is partly right, 
But if that's all we do, let's say that's all that, that Dan and Irene do. They go on their mission, go on their mission, go on their mission. And then all of a sudden their mission falls apart. And they're going, God, I just serve you. What? They only get their life when they live it for God. And if that doesn't work out, their faith can fall apart. Skyjathani is saying that now, like never before, young adults are leaving the church in the old days, they used to come back when they have a kid or something like that. Now they're not coming back. And he says that we seem to have inoculated a whole generation. We just give them a piece of Jesus. I'm starting to look at some folks that I hang out with. Circumstances hit them hard. Then all of a sudden they walk away because God doesn't love them anymore. I'm going, how do you believe that? And maybe Sky's right. I don't know. Maybe because they just believe this little part. And if it's not going well for them, circumstantially, they're not happy anymore. God's not true or God's not alive or he doesn't love me. So that's life for God. Life from God is a consumerism. God is a genie. You just rub that old lamp and out comes God. And he grants us our desires. We're entitled. We deserve it. We deserve health. We deserve wealth. We deserve prosperity. This drives me nuts. Because people preach this stuff and I say, okay, how about we send you over to Bolivia? Or how about we send you over to Africa? Or how about Syria? And let's see if your gospel works there for you. Now, this is half right because God does give good things to his people. God gives good things to people in general. He's a good God. Next one is life over God. This is kind of like a Christian deism. God, as the provider of useful principles to observe, we can take direct control of our world through science. This is a classic, and if you go to a different church, and the church is, uh, if, if the preacher keeps just grabbing principles and not preaching what the Word of God says, be well aware. If I start doing that, take me for coffee. <laughs> Starbucks, right? Because uh, that's, you start using the Bible as a textbook, and you're interested in the Bible, but you're not interested in the Bible writer. You're not interested in God himself. And you can actually start to control your marriage and control your children and control this because this is what the word of God says. But it's important that we see the word became flesh and dwelt among us. Next is life under God. It's a moralism. God is a giver of rules and and rituals to follow. By following these, we control God and he takes care of us. I was telling you, peeling part of the onion for you, this is kind of how I grew up. If I did good things, then God smiled upon me. If I did bad things, I better watch out. So it's a life under God. I was his slave. And with this too, it's interesting because for me, for instance, like I shared last time, I can say, wow, I've been pastoring for years and years. I deserve kids that love Jesus. I deserve this. I deserve that. I deserve healthy relationships and all that stuff. And then if all of a sudden something doesn't work out in my life, I can go, wow, I serve God in vain. Maybe he doesn't love me, or maybe I've been following the wrong path. You see how this can happen, this, this poor thinking? If we only grab a little glimpse, and if we read the word of God through this lens of prosperity, or through this lens of under God, or for God, or over God, boy, we can get some really unhealthy theology, messed up view of God. The next one, though, life with God. And this is what he's after, life with God. And a great season to remind us of this, Emmanuel, God with us, God with us. A life that seeks to dwell with God, 
Life with God includes three things, treasuring, uniting, and experiencing. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for thou art with me through the valley of the shadow of death. So he's with us no matter what we go through. He's with you in your marriage. He's with you with your kids. He's with you in economic crisis. He's with you, with you, with you. And this, when we have this picture, we do have a a, a certain sense of life under God. Absolutely, we ought to serve God. We have a a little bit of life over God. There's there's principles. We have a little bit of life for God. We have a little little bit of life from God. But when we look at the full meal deer here, we're walking with God, or rather God is walking with us through whatever the circumstance. And that brings us to what we're talking about today. Joy. Joy. Joy in the journey. Joy no matter the circumstance. So we're not talking happiness. Happiness is circumstantial. We're talking joy for the journey. Joy even when things are lame. Joy when you're sitting in the doctor's office. Joy when another bill comes in. Joy when your marriage isn't too good. Joy. How do we get this? Heavenly Father, I'd ask that you would Reveal yourself to us. Show us yourself. Show us how to do this with thing. We want to journey with you. Through life's trials and circumstances, we need you, Jesus. Help us. Amen. So today we're looking specifically at joy for the journey. What is joy? And somebody said this. Joy is the settled assurance that God is in control of all the details of my life, the quiet confidence that ultimately everything is going to be all right, and the determined choice to praise God in every situation. That's all right, huh? I'll read that again for you. Joy, somebody says, is the settled assurance, I like that, the settled assurance that God is in control of all the details of my life, the quiet confidence that ultimately everything is going to be all right, and the determined choice to praise God in every circumstance. So to me, that sounds a lot different than happiness. Seems that being happy would be more circumstantial. When all is well, then I'm happy. When you know your place and I know mine, then I'm happy. When the money is rolling in, I am happy. When I have no health problems and all my children are precious angels, then I'm happy. You get the drift, right? Happy, happy, joy, joy. Listen to a couple Bible references that point us toward joy. When it comes to Sarah and Isaac, the Lord visited Sarah as he had said, and the Lord did to Sarah as he had promised. And Sarah conceived and bore Abraham a son in his old age at the time of which God had spoken to him. These are some old folks. So this is a a crazy miracle. It's amazing. Abraham called the name of his son who was born to him, whom Sarah bore him, Isaac. And Isaac, and Sarah said, God has made laughter for me. Everyone who hears will laugh over me. And she said, who would have said to Abraham that Sarah would nurse children? Yet I have borne him a son in his old age. They were overwhelmed with joy in the Old Testament. So many years before the passage that we're looking at. Joy. Another related verse is out of the Psalms. The psalmist pens this. For you, O Lord, have made me glad by your work, God. At the works of your hands, I sing for joy. 
John 15. These things I have spoken to you, John 15, that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be full. That's his wish for us, his hope for us. And then with Paul and Barnabas sharing the good news in Acts chapter 13, 49, 52, and the word of the Lord was spreading throughout the whole region and the disciples were filled with joy and with the Holy Spirit. Even in all those verses, I see that a joy response when things are happening and we respond, God is smiling because we're delighting in him and he delights in us. Not only that, we also have this mechanism, we can walk with God through any circumstance, but also from the last verse, we see that with Paul and Barnabas, and the word of God was spreading throughout the region, and the disciples, the whole community was filled with joy, and with the Holy Spirit. So joy is contagious. Joy isn't just a selfish me, me, me thing here, like happiness can be. Joy, again, is the full meal deal, not siloed. So back to the main passage of Matthew. Let's keep this in mind. If we want joy today, it seems that the response will release a mechanism within our hearts that will have us responding to the glory of God and spilling out to others around us. So that's going to be joy, different than happiness. We don't need circumstances here, but when you have joy in the journey, there's going to be something different in you. There's going to be a cool connection with you and God, and there's going to be a cool connection because you're spilling out on the people around you. I'm not saying that as Christians, you always have to be happy, happy, happy. But I'm saying that no matter the journey, I think people need this. I think people need to come across Christians that life isn't the grandest, where life sometimes sucks. Our life is hard sometimes, but we have joy in the journey. We got joy in the journey. So let's take a look at Herod. Herod is a, a big part of this passage in Matthew chapter 2. So the Magi were seeking the king, but Herod was afraid or as we can see from that first slide, there was danger, but he might lose his throne. So he's full of fear. So he's, uh, when you find him, uh, please come back and report because I want to worship him. Right. But Herod was afraid of the king and he wanted to destroy him. This was Herod the Great called king by the Roman Senate because of the influence of Mark Antony. Herod was a cruel and crafty man who permitted no one, not even his own family, not his wife, not his kids, whatever, to interfere with his rule or prevent the satisfying of his evil desires. He was a ruthless murderer. He had his own wife and her two brothers slain because he suspected them, just suspected them of treason. He was married at least nine times in order to fulfill his lusts and strengthen his political ties. So it's no surprise that, that Herod tried to kill Jesus. Herod alone wanted the title king of the Jews. That will make me happy, Herod figures. That will make me happy. I am the king of the Jews. But there was also another reason. Herod was not a full-blooded Jew. He was actually an Adumian, a descendant of Esau. So we see this, this battle, we see this constantly going on throughout Scripture and even today of our own flesh, and the desire of the spirit within our hearts. The spiritual versus the carnal. The godly versus the moral. So it seems that Herod's response was to reject, but more than that, was to actually oppose the king. Was actually to oppose Jesus. 
Thank God none of us are like Herod, right? None of us oppose the king. None of us oppose the king by our attitudes, our actions, or behaviors. None of us struggles like Herod with our anger or with our insecurities because Christ wants to be king of our lives. Christ wants to set up domain in your life and you're going, I'm the king of this life. And surely none of us are concerned about losing our dominion over our lives. Herod opposed the king. In verse 4, though, we see the religious folk. And Herod, gathering together all the chief priests and scribes of the people. Did you hear that? The chief priests. So we're talking the Sunday school superintendent. We're talking chairman of the board. We're talking the priests. We're talking the pastors. I mean, the who's who here of religious stuff. He gathered together all the chief priests and scribes of the people, and he inquired of them where the Messiah was to be born. And they said to him, in Bethlehem of Judea, for this is what has been written by the prophet. And you, Bethlehem, land of Judah, are by no means least among the leaders of Judah. For out of you shall come forth a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. Did you get that? These guys that knew scripture were not the ones seeking Christ, even though they knew where to find them? Did you get that? So they should have known the answers. Here they were. They had the scriptures. They had the scrolls. They had the knowledge. They had the mentoring. And yet, when they're called together, they give the right answer to Herod. Yet they did not worship. These priests knew the scriptures and pointed others to the Savior, but they would not go worship him themselves. Did you get that? Yeah, it should be over there somewhere, over in Bethlehem. But yet, did they go and worship? They quoted Micah 5 verse 2, but did not obey it. They were five miles from the very Son of God, yet they did not go see him. The Gentiles, the Magi, they weren't Jewish. They went and saw him. But the Jewish people who had an inside scoop of what was going on, they did not. It's kind of like knowing all the Christmas stories in your head, yet all those fantastic Christmas stories stay in your head and don't sink down into your heart. When I was a youth pastor, I used to ask the youth the question sometimes, Could it be that you're 18 inches away from heaven? You know all the right answers up here, but it's never taken the 18 inches to sink down into your life, into your heart. You've gone to Sunday school, you went to Christian high school, you read your Bible, you listen to mom and dad most of the time, but it's made no difference in your life. You know a lot about Jesus. You're fantastic at trivia. At sword drills, bam, you're the man but you don't know him. You know about him, but you don't know him. We're all familiar with the verse from James, I think it's chapter 2, verse 19, that you believe that there is one God. Great, good. 
even the demons believe that, and they shudder. So folks, if you're sitting here today, like the leaders here in Jesus' time, with that fantastic head knowledge, you the man when it comes to the sword drills, but you don't have a relationship, big deal. Big deal. First Peter tells us, but if in your hearts, but in your hearts, revere Christ as Lord. Revere Christ as Lord. Think about this for a second. If these teachers of the law, these scribes and Pharisees, actually had this verse and memorized it, and then they say, okay, in my heart, not just my head, in my heart, I revere Christ as Lord. Peter says, always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have. Or today, let's make it really, really relevant to us. To give our, uh, and everyone an answer who asks you to give them the reason for the joy that you have. But do this with gentleness and with respect. So we have Herod here who opposed the whole thing. We have the religious folks here that didn't even get it. And then we have the Magi. And the Magi, they can be a ton of different things. But first of all, they're Gentiles, so they, they, didn't, they didn't subscribe to the Holy Scriptures. They may have had it with them along with a whole bunch of other stuff. But... Here they are, they're Gentiles, they're kind of like astrologers, they look up at the, they're kind of like scientists in a way, science buffs, they're curious, they probably would have been interested in horoscopes and all that stuff. But meanwhile, here there is something about them, there's something about who they are that they are interested, and they do remind me of Jeremiah 29, where where God says, you will seek me and find me when? Some more, louder, please. When you seek me with all your head. Yeah, thank you. Yeah, watch out. I might lead you astray. All right? Yeah, when you seek me with all your heart. So right there, we see even years back that it's the heart. And if the Magi here, they were even maybe looking at all sorts of crazy stuff, but yet it seems that something about them was seeking, honestly, truth. And God showed up. But it's bigger than that, as we're going to see in a bit, because here God is reaching out, and who is it that responds first? Well, besides Mary and Joseph, obviously, but who, who responds after that is Gentiles. Who responds after that? It's the world. And that's what the Gospel of John is all about, for God so loved the world. He loves everybody, that if you believe in him, you shall not perish, but have everlasting life. That is an invitation to everybody, including the folks that are coming over here, the immigrants that we need to love on, that we need to joy on, that we need to peace on, that we need to hope on. So here in Matthew 2 verse 9, it indicates that the miraculous star was not always visible to the Magi. As they started toward Bethlehem, they saw the star again, and that led them to the house where Jesus was. This is amazing stuff, and what we, we kind of centered on this one verse, that their response was overflowing joy. And even when they stopped at Herod's, and then they started walking out again, they saw the, the star again, they were overflowed with joy. And then it stopped over the place where Jesus was. These guys were pumped, not just happy, they were full of joy, a, a response of the heart. It's kind of like an exodus 
If you remember back to when God's people were led by a pillar of fire, remember that? And here we have these Gentiles being led by a pillar of fire in the sky or a, a star in the east. Joy such as this is regularly associated with the messianic age in Isaiah and so also is a big, big theme in Luke's gospel. God is still wishing, and he showed it even in the Christmas story, that none should perish, but all have eternal life. That's his heart for us, you guys. You know, the road to joy can be costly. Herod was dangerous. And it seems as though these days, I don't know if you figured this out, but it seems almost dangerous to be a Christian these days. You have to watch your tongue. Because you may say something even in the nicest meaning, greatest intention, but if you say the wrong thing in, an in, in a politically incorrect way, lug out. It is kind of costly these days to walk in the joy of the Lord. But joy is available to everyone. And I love it because here we see in Matthew that he presents himself to the Magi, to the Gentiles. And then how does he end this book? So that's the, uh, the alpha of the first part of Matthew. And at the omega of Matthew, what do you know from Matthew chapter 28? Go out into all the world and preach the gospel, baptizing them in the name of... So here at first, the people that respond are the ones of the world, the Gentiles. And now he's saying again, to, for us, the church. So it, first of all, he actually brings the Gentiles or the world to him. And now he's saying to us, to you sitting here, go out into the world and preach the gospel. Go out into the world and be joy. Go out and overflow with peace and hope and love. So folks, I'll end with this. Are you firing on all four cylinders? Or what's stopping you? What's stopping you from experiencing and knowing deep in your heart that Jesus is the hope of the world? That he expressed love, unending love, that he sent Jesus Christ to die on the cross for you that we have a joy no matter what the circumstances is. What is stopping us from overflowing and not only having joy ourselves, but also our creator God is also smiling because we're reaching our potential and that I guarantee you will spill out on the people around you. What's stopping you? from reaching your potential? What's stopping you from firing on all four cylinders? Heavenly Father, thank you for this morning, for the scripture that is so powerful. We ask, Lord Jesus, that we would not be like the religious leaders. No. We ask that we wouldn't be like Herod and oppose or the religious leaders and, and, and know it in our heads but have no response Heavenly Father, we kind of want to be like the Magi who, who were paying attention. They were looking. 
seek me and find me and seek me and, and you with all your heart and you will find me. That's the kind of folks we want to be, Lord. We want to be people filled with hope, joy, peace, and love. And Heavenly Father, when we fire on all those four cylinders, we ask, Lord, that we would spill out onto our neighborhoods because our communities need Jesus. We pray this in your own name.